Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Is everybody enjoying this weather? Yeah, ish, ish. So we actually, my name's Jake. I'm the campus minister here at the church. Um, and this last week, we actually went on spring break with our college students. And uh, we went to Tennessee. We went up to Pigeon Forge, and we had this giant cabin that slept 55 people up in the mountains. And it was crazy because the weather was so nice when we were there. Um, for the most part, uh, it was it got rainy a couple days, but it was like 70 degrees some days, and it, it got really hot, and it was beautiful in the, in the mountains. And uh, like our back porch, you got to walk out, and like it was literally like the landscape of like a mountainside, right? And I'm like, man, this is so awesome! Like spring is finally here. Like we can't, I can't wait. Like I'm a big, I'm a big outdoor summer, spring, like warm weather person. And so like we get back in the car, and we're like on Friday when we left, it's like 65 degrees and sunny. And we're like, man, this is so nice. And then we start driving back home, and we literally hit a snowstorm on the way home. It made no sense. Like, we, and was, was there snow here while I was gone? Like, it was, it was insane because we start hitting it, and then like we see, like we get our first gas. I'm like, oh, it's kind of getting chilly a little bit. But like I didn't know that this huge snowstorm was going to come through. And then we're starting to drive through it. And we're, we're halfway home. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I thought we were done with this. And then I, re- I remembered we live in the Midwest. And this is just life. So we're in this cycle now where like I looked at the weather for the next week. I'm like, it looks like spring's like finally here from this next week. But then like on Friday, it's supposed to like get down in the low 50s again. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm hoping we're finally into this warm weather phase. Um, is anybody excited about that, the warm weather? Yes, I am too. Reggie Conley has been teaching me some gardening tips, so I'm getting that, that old man phase in my head where I'm excited to do some things I, I didn't really want to do when I was a college kid. Um, so I'm like, I can't wait to get my garden all tilled up and ready to go. <laughs> you know. Um, but um, I'm excited that you guys are here. Um, we have a couple things that I want to talk about before we jump into the lesson. If you guys want to open up your bulletins, uh, for you manly men, we have a men's retreat coming up. Um, and this men's retreat is awesome. And I guess if you're not like a manly man, you can probably still come if you want. But this guy has got a cool beard, and I wish I could grow it out like that, but I'm still getting my patches in on the sides. But it's just a cool little image. But this men's retreat is an awesome opportunity for the men in our church to really raise up and understand their role and their relationship with God and their impact that they have on the church and the community that we choose to serve within this area. Um, the men's retreat is one of my favorite, well, it's one of my favorite retreats of the year. It's just a time for all the men in the church to get away. And we actually partner with three or four other churches in the area and all of their men come as well. So no matter what your age is, um, there's going to be people your age there that are from different churches in the same groups as you. And it's, you know, for example, like our college men, like it's really cool to see our college men be able to go and find other college men, their ages that they're not doing ministry with, trying to do the same exact thing they are right back at home. For our, for our men that are married and have wives and they have kids and have families and, and they get to go find and meet other men who have the same interests as them and they're doing the same things in different cities. For you high schoolers and junior hires to find other high school boys that are doing the same things as you guys in their high schools. It's just a really, really cool um, place to be. And so if you are a guy, if you are a woman that feels like you want a Christian man in your life, you better push your men to be here. You know, If you're dating a Christian guy, you better make sure that guy is there. You know? For you Christian men, if you want a girl one day, you, you better go. You know, like, it, it, it fits every context of every man to be at this retreat because it's so good. And we have, a, we have a speaker coming in that's new. His name is Matt Wilson. And from what I hear of him, uh, he looks like a Duck Dynasty guy. Like, he, he kind of he gives that persona off. He's, he's one of those kind of men that just kind of, like, got the beard going. And he's just like, I do what I do. I'm a man. I live my life. And this is what the Bible says. This is how I live it. And he's making some awesome things happen in South Carolina. And we're, we've invited him in to speak at our men's retreat to kind of just fuel us and give us a, some, some more equipping. Um, so, you know, mark your calendars, April 22nd through the 24th. Uh, I believe it says on the back that it's $95 for a night. If you want to say the extra night, it's a little extra. But that $95 gets you three meals. It gets you lodging. It gets you all the materials for that retreat. And it gives you access. We go to Lake Williamson, and there's an awesome retreat center. They have basketball courts. They have volleyball. They have archery outside. They have golf. They have softball courts. And, and you get access to all of that stuff. And it's all bundled together in that $95 price. And so I would encourage all of you men to be at that. Um, ladies, you have a retreat in the fall. So don't be all upset. Like, why do the men get to go? And the men don't get to go nowhere. Um, it's because you guys get to go to like cool hotel, you know, and so um, you guys can have pillow fights or whatever women do at their things and us men will do manly things at our stuff, right? Um, but yeah, so mark your calendars for that. 
Um, if you guys would like to pull out uh, this uh, bulletin, or not bulletin, it's, it's a, I don't know what you call it, it's to follow along with our notes, right? I, I'm losing my train of thought. I, was, I need a break from spring break. Does anybody feel that way that was on this campus trip? There was 50, there was 50 college kids at this thing, right? And I need a break. <laughs> like my, my mind is still like trying to recover from this. And now my little girls, they're on spring break this week. So like I'm going to be waking up every morning to my kids and be like, Dad, 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 we're on break. What are we going to do today? What are we going to do today? And so like I'm, I'm ready for another break from a break of another break. <laughs> that makes sense. So bear with me today because I might get a little tongue twice. There, there it is right there. <laughs> I'm ready for my break, guys. I'm already there, right? So... Stay with me today. I might need a Starbucks after this. I, I swear by it that I don't like Starbucks, but today might be a day that I need to get one of those little white girl drinks from Starbucks that's so fruity. Um, so let's jump in. How about that? Uh, we're starting a new sermon series called More Than Words. And this, uh, if you guys have ever, have you, has anyone ever heard of the song More Than Words by Extreme? Now this song came out in the 90s. It's, it's been a while. But it came out by this group called Extreme, and it's a funk metal band. You don't hear about a lot of those these days, right? But it was a band that was very um, electronic, very loud, very thrasher, very drums and, and electric guitars. And they came out with a song called More Than Words, and it was by their main vocalist and their guitarist, and it was a song that was sung acoustically, um, in, a harmonizing, uh, in, a, in a harmonizing song. And you didn't really get that from this band. It's actually the only song they ever, that they ever recorded like this. But also the genre of that time, it was not very popular, a song like this should have ever been sang or went out. In fact, the band Extreme wanted this song so badly on their album that their record label said, no, it doesn't fit the genre, it doesn't fit the mold of what's in right now and it's going to lose your credibility, and it's going to lose certain things, it's not going to be worth it. And so Extreme was so passionate about this song, they said, listen, if you guys don't put this song on our album, we're going to find another label as soon as this contract's up. And so their label said, whatever, we'll put this song on your guys', la- on your guys next album. And they put the song on, and it became the top hit this, that this band had ever sang in their, entire, in their entire career. But they're so passionate about it. And when you hear these lyrics, and you hear what the song is about, it kind of sounds more like a song that women would sing. You know, it sounds more like a chick song based on what they say. And so I'm going to read the lyrics of the first verse of this song so you guys can get an idea of what this song is saying because it kind of plays into the theme of what we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks. Um, the song's called More Than Words, and it says in the first verse, it says, Saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you. It's not that I want you not to say, but if you only knew how easy it would be to show me how you feel, more than words is all you have to do to make it real. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me, because I'd already know. What would you do if my heart was torn in two? More than words to show you feel that your love for me is real. What would you say if I took those words away? Then you couldn't make things new just by saying I love you. Now I've tried to talk to you and make you understand. All you have to do is close your eyes and just reach out your hands and touch me. Hold me close, don't ever let me go. More than words is all I ever needed you to show then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I'd already know. What would you do if my heart was torn in two, more than words to show you feel that your love for me is real? What would you say if I took those words away, then you couldn't just make things new just by saying I love you, right? And so you hear this song, and we're going to break this song down actually over the next couple weeks, and we're going to be talking about certain words in the Bible. Um, But these artists are trying to get this to be understood that it's, it, it means it's not just words that can exemplify feelings or actions, right? And they're saying we need more than words. If, for instance, the word I love you, right? We throw that word around a lot, right? When you hear like high schoolers or junior high kids and they're like, but mom, I love them, I love them. You don't hear the parents being like, I know, you know exactly what love means, don't you, right? And you hear them like, you don't know what love means. You, you, you're infatuated with them, you're obsessed with them, but you don't necessarily know what love is. And as you get older, you start to experience like what love really means and what love really understands. But sometimes we throw words out and just like these lyricists are saying is that it needs to be more than a word that's said. 
that there's a lot more that goes on inside of what can be shown because actions prove louder than words. And he says, what if I took those words away? Would you actually be able to still see that I truly love you or truly care about you? And so doesn't it kind of sound like this would be more of like a chick song than like a guy song? Because like in relationships or in situations like that, you usually hear the women being like, I need more. I just, I don't want you to say it. And then the guys are like, I said I love you. What else do you want? Right? That's usually what you would see in a relationship, right? But it's funny that this is more of, of two guys trying to help understand the same concept that's universal, that no matter who's saying it, it's, it's more than words. It needs to be more than words. And so over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to break apart three words in the Bible, faith, hope, and love. And these three words are huge words that the culture of what we live in today, whether it be in church or not, we've taken those three words and we've kind of distorted them and twisted them and said, it's just a word. We can say that word. I have faith. I have hope. I have love. But when we really look in Scripture, we start to find out, just like the song is talking about, that there are sometimes actions that need to go behind that to prove that's true or to back those things up. And so we're we'll breaking apart those three words over the next couple of weeks. But today we're going to talk about faith. And what we're going to talk about faith when we get faith, it's going to come out of the book of Jude, um, where we're going to get most of the scripture today. But first and foremost, when we talk about this idea of faith, and we talk about things being more than words, and what Jude is trying to communicate today, is I want you guys to understand that there are messages that someone speaking for God, like Jude, want to deliver. You know, Jude really wants to talk about something. If you see in Jude 3, and we have a couple of expanded Bible versions that we're going to be reading through today. And what the expanded Bible version essentially is, is it gives you a little bit, it gives you a little bit extra on the definitions of the words. It kind of defines some things. So anything you see in brackets is just more of an expansion of what this actual verse is trying to say through, you know, if there wasn't necessarily a word in, in Greek that we have today, it kind of breaks it apart and kind of gives you more words that would maybe parallel with, with our language today. And so anything in brackets is just kind of giving you more information on what the verses would say um, in the Greek translation. And so in Jude 3, it says, Dear friends, loved ones, I wanted very much, or was making every effort, was just about to write to you about the salvation we all share. Right? And so what he's saying here is, I really wanted to talk about something else. I really wanted to write to you guys, and I really wanted to share very much about the shell. I just wanted this to be an encouraging letter. I want to talk about just, you know, our, our salvation together, our, our eternity together. Like, that's what I wanted to talk about. And you're going to find messages in the scriptures that are very easy to want to talk about. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about love, right? And as a preacher, like, that's your bread and butter. Like, anytime you can talk about love, is like, that's a, good, that's a good topic to talk about as a preacher. It's very uplifting. It's very connecting. It's very emotional. It's very supportive. It makes people feel really good when they leave. You don't hear a lot of preachers being like, I love preaching on hell. You know, like, nobody's like, I, that's my favorite thing to talk about is hell. You know, like, nobody really wants to talk about that. But at times, those things have to be, have to be said. And what Judah's saying is he's coming in here and saying, hey, I wanted to talk about these things. But then he goes on and he says, but I felt the need to write to you about something else. You see, because there, there are messages that someone speaking for God wants to deliver, but then there are other times where there are messages that someone speaking for God needs to deliver. And this is a situation that we see with Jude. He says, but I felt the need to write about something else. I want to encourage you to fight hard for the faith and circle the faith because that's going to be an important part of what we're talking about today. And when he says the faith, he's talking about the authentic gospel message that was given to the holy people of God once and for all time. And so when he comes in, he talks about that he wanted to talk about something else, yet he sees that there's a need right now to talk about the faith that we need to express today. We, we get this from Jude, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, is three needed truths that Jude wants me to know. So three needed truths that Jude wants me to know about the faith is number one, God calls me to discern and defend the faith. God calls me to, dis to discern and defend the faith. It says in Jude 3, I want to encourage you to fight hard for, you know, earnestly contend for, defend the faith. And so he makes it very important right off the bat. Jude says, hey, listen, you need to know how to distinguish what the faith is, how to be able to discern and look through and filter through all these different false faiths and, and figure out which one is true. 
But once you figure out which one is true, it's not just enough to know that that's what it is, but you also need to stand up for and defend it after you understood those. You see, the faith, if you use that word, the faith, essentially that's just a systematic teaching provided in the scripture. If you want to have a bare bone definition of the word, the faith, that's what it is. It's not, it's not exclusive to the Bible. It's the faith is, is that, it's, it's, it's itself. It's whatever you choose to teach and believe within scripture. For example, the Islamic faith. If you claim to be of the Islamic faith, then you find your teachings in the Quran. If you believe in the Islamic faith and you say, this is the faith that I choose to be a part of, then your teachings come from that book. The Latter-day Saints faith derives its teaching from the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon looks at Scripture and says, this, this, is, this is true, and there are things within Scriptures and, and the Bible that are true, but we also have other books as well, like the Book of Mormon and a couple others, and it all culminates to become one whole. There is, there is no one obsolete within that, but it all culminates to becoming one thing. And so if you claim the Latter-day Saints' faith, that's what you choose to look at as your faith, teaching provided throughout Scripture. So then that would make sense that the Christian faith in itself derives its teachings from the Bible. And so no matter what faith you belong to, no matter where you stand, that word, the faith, is the teaching provided within the scriptures that you choose to believe by. And God says you need to discern which one is accurate, which one is for you, which one is his, and then stand up and defend it. And so no matter where you're at on that, that's kind of the bare bone, you know, outside, you know, looking at it from an outsider's point of view on the word, the faith, and where it stands. Now, obviously, you know, here at the Crossing Church, we look at the Christian faith. And so everything that we look at within Scripture, we are talking about the Bible. We're talking about everything that culminates within God's word inside of the Bible. And that's where we derive our faith from. And that's the discernment that we have. And we choose to stand for that. So now God looks at that and he says, not just to discern and defend the faith, but then Jude tells us, the second point we get from this is God delivered the faith to us once for all time. It says in Jude 3, right? The faith that he's talking about here, the authentic gospel message that was given to the holy people of God once and for all time. You see, that over, the, over the generations, the Bible has been consistent. But over the generations, there have been religious people who have came in and they've either tried to add or take away from God's holy scriptures because they did not necessarily believe in this context that once for all time was actually once for all time. You see, and that's honestly where denominations, I, I believe, came from. A lot, of, a lot of Christian denominations look at God's word and they say, this is the bare bones of the Bible. You know, if we have the Bible here, right? And this is the bare bones of the Bible. What you tend to see is a lot of denominations come out and say, we like this, but no matter something about our culture or something about where we're at in life or something about our, our, our location or something about the people that we serve, the Bible is good, but we have our own flavor as well. We have our own translations as well. We have our own feelings of the scriptures. And even though the scriptures are true and we believe the scriptures, we have our own kind of traditions that we're going to set in place that we're going to kind of add to the scriptures a little bit. Or vice versa, what you may see is, is that there are people that look at God's word and say, this is nice, this is accurate, this is true, but there are some things that we don't like inside of this. There are some things that we don't want to live by. There are some things that we don't believe are true we feel like those things are going to be omitted from this. And so now our denomination is going to take away a little bit of this. And that's why you look at America and you look all over the place and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of churches. Yet when you walk into one, you might hear one faith that might be different than another faith. You might see that they all use the Bible, but they don't necessarily apply everything in the Bible. And God wants us to understand through Jude that he delivered one Holy Scripture to us once and for all time. There needs to be no editing, there needs to be no adding, there needs to be no subtracting, but that specific Scripture, the Holy Word of God, is meant to be for us and never to be altered. Look at this in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. It says, If anyone adds anything to what is written, God will add that person the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and the holy city that are described in this book. You know, that verse alone scares me, you know, to want to change anything in this Bible. It's like, so I, I kind of grew up, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of grew up in a house where my mom was like, this book, you don't touch this book. Like the Bible in my house, like we have one of those like big, thick books, like one of those big, thick Bibles. And my mom was so weird. She used to like, like our first hair clippings, like the first haircut, the little braid, it was one of those big old Bibles. She put that in the Bibles of my five kids or my five siblings. And so in this giant Bible my mom had, it was like all her mementos over the years were stuffed inside of this Bible. But like you could never, it was like a, it was like an artifact. Like you couldn't grab that Bible. You couldn't open it up to read it. Like you couldn't, it was so sacred. Like you couldn't mark on it. Like it, it, it better have been in pristine condition the entire time it was in our house, Right. And I don't know if anybody else had people like that in their, in their houses. Like there was like a holy Bible and it was like holy to that extent that like you don't touch it. Right. And sometimes I look at scripture like this. I'm like, OK, I don't want to touch. It. I don't want to touch it. But then it's like, well, how do I know what's inside of it if I don't ever touch it? You know, and so it, it gets confusing to that point. But God's essentially saying the Bible itself is whole. The Bible itself is authentic and the Bible itself does not need to be altered but we better figure out what's inside of it to make sure we're not altering it ourselves through our own minds. You know, there's, there's I, I don't know if you want to call it a denomination or a theology going on. It's, self, it's called self-proclaimed theology or self-decided theology. And essentially what it is is I have a decision, and I don't know why they call it a denomination or whatever it is because it's literally every person's thought process, is I have this idea of who God is. And so I want to believe my idea of who God is, and that's what I will choose to live by, my idea of God. And what God says is, no, it's not your idea of who I am. I've literally given you my holy scriptures. I've given you who I am. So you don't have to figure it out or make it up or pretend who I truly am because I've already given it to you. You know, but we choose to look at that and say, eh, maybe God doesn't really know who I think he knows he is, you know, or, who, or I, don't really, I don't really know who God is and he hasn't really revealed himself through scripture. So I'm just going to pretend like I know who he is. But God delivered this faith to us once for all time so that we would know that there would never need to be an altering because everything that he needs us to know about him is in that book. And once we understand that, we need to be prepared for this third point because the third point is Satan is determined to distort that faith. Satan is determined to distort the faith. So God has set us up. He's given us a stage to be set up for success. He's given us the opportunity to figure this thing out in the right way. He's given us the plan. But Satan has came in and said, I've got an easy way to mess that plan up. All I've got to do is get in people's heads, get in people's hearts, get in people's emotions, and not make them focus on that one faith once for all time, but sway that a little bit, but change that faith a little bit. And all I've got to do is get in a couple people's heads, and then it will become contagious. People will choose to start following other people instead of following that faith. Listen to what it says in Jude 4. It says, for some godless people have slipped in unnoticed among us, persons who distort the message about the grace of our God in order to excuse their immoral ways, and who reject Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Long ago, the scriptures predicted the condemnation they have received. You see, Satan's pretty, he's pretty sly. He doesn't necessarily have to say, I need to get into that Bible and change all those words up. No, Satan has came in and said, I just got to get to a couple people's hearts. I got to get in a couple people's heads. And then based on our environments and based on our experiences, people will choose to lean more towards people's understandings than towards God's word. Right? Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever seen people in your life that choose to believe a parent over scripture? They've chosen to believe uh, a youth group over scripture. They've chosen to believe their, their, their peers at school over that. 
a sport team, uh, a, a Facebook post, a TikTok. It's contagious that Satan can slip in and distort the word, distort the faith. And a lot of times we choose to look at the faith, right? And we think it's like, oh, it's those people out there. It's like the crazy people in the world, right? It's the sinners. You know, like those are the people distorting the faith. Those are people like, we're not Christians, we're atheists, or we're this, or we're that, and we, we don't believe in God, or we want to live, live sinful lives. And we look at those people like, oh, yeah, they're trying to distort the faith. They're trying to change the faith. But what's crazy is, is what does it say here in Jude 4? It says godless people have slipped in unnoticed where? Among us. And so what Jude's trying to indicate is, listen, these godless people are not just out in the world. They're not just out in the streets. They are within the church. And that's an unfortunate statement to make, but even Jude, you know, even Jude way back when knew that there were going to be people that would slide into churches and they would choose to change the faith because of their own emotions, because of their own feelings, because of their own agendas, because of their own personal convictions. And that faith would very easily be swayed. Once again, the same thing can be said about where we're at in American churches today. It should be, right, that there should be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of churches that you should be able to walk into any single one on any given Sunday and know that you're going to get a consistent message, right? Shouldn't that be the way that the faith should be delivered? That you should be able to go wherever you're at, if you're on vacation, if you go to school, if you go to a college, if you move away. That no matter what church building you walk into, you should be able to go in and hear the same thing. But let's just be honest for a second. How many of you guys have visited more than one church in your life and have not been happy with what you've seen? See what I'm saying? Shouldn't it be, though, that we should all, that noble hands should be raised? And we should be like, every church I go to is speaking the word of God. Every church I go to is the authentic faith and the people there are truly living it out. But more times than not, what we see in American churches is that people choose to distort the faith by their own agendas, by their own feelings, and people start to catch on very quickly. This is a very hypocritical church. That's the number one reason why people leave churches today is because of hypocrisy. But God comes in and tells Jude, listen guys, there are going to be people among you that are going to change this faith up this faith up, and you have to be on your guard. In Jude 17 through 19, it says, But remember, my friends, what you were told in the past by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, when the last days come, people will appear who make fun of you, people who follow their own godless desires. These are the people who cause divisions, who are controlled by their natural desires, who do not have the Spirit. And so that's what we have to be on guard of in our own hearts, but also the people that we surround ourselves with is, are we living by the faith because of our own natural desires or are we living by the faith in spite of our natural desires? So there's a big difference there because we, when we live by the faith because of our natural desires, then we choose to sway the faith to please or accompany or accommodate our natural desires. But when we choose to live by the faith in spite of those things, we choose to reject ourselves like, like Jesus talks about when we die to self and say, no matter how I want to live, I've chosen to give that up and I want to follow Christ. And in that verse beforehand, when it talks about the grace of our God, you see, people, people choose to look at grace in two different ways as well. You know? And, and Jude 4 had, had said about the grace of our God in order to excuse their immoral ways. You see, people look at the grace of God in one way that says, you know, God has given us grace so that I can live a different life. But then there are other people that choose to look at grace and say, I live by grace to excuse the life that I live. You see the difference there? Because I think a lot of people choose to look at God, and it's very easy to look at God as a savior. We all want to be saved. But not a lot of people want to look at God as a Lord. Because the Lord means we have to give up control. A Savior is here to help. A Lord is here to control. And in Jude, it talks about that these are the people who will cause divisions who are controlled by their natural desires. You can parallel that to say, literally, these are people who cause divisions who don't look at Jesus as a Lord, but only as a Savior. 
And so when we talk about distorting the faith, we have to look at these principles of what Judas is talking about and pushing us towards. But if we're going to look at this and we're going to talk about discerning and defending the faith, it's going to require a couple things from us. If we're going to actually discern and defend the faith of the Bible, of what God has truly given us, that's going to require that, number one, I care about the faith. I care about the faith or the truth would be that other blank within there, right? So if we're going to discern and we're going to figure out which faith is the real faith, which faith is God's faith, which faith is, is whatever, we have to care about the faith. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-12, it says, He will use every kind of evil to trick those who are lost. They will die because they refuse to love the truth. If they loved the truth, they would have been saved. So all those who will be judged guilty, who did not believe the truth, but enjoyed doing evil. You see, in Christianity, truth matters. Truth is very important. Um, you know, you can look at the Bible and say that the, that the two heavy hitters and scriptures are, are grace and truth. That they go hand in hand. And that this verse emphasizes the idea of truth so much that it calls us to love it, right? Um, because they refuse to love the truth. And honestly, if you guys ever visit a church or you're a part of a church that doesn't really care about truth, but they care more about the other things, that church is doing something other than Christianity. You know, I've visited a lot of churches. I've been, I've been a part of a lot of churches in my life, and I've seen a lot of churches that choose not to care about truth, but they care about people. And when you hear it like that, you're like, oh, shouldn't you care about people? You know? And whenever you make statements like that as a church, is we care about people, we love people, we, we spend time with people. Well, that's true, but when you look through Scripture, when you look through truth, they're not really caring about people. They're not really loving people. You see, because some people would say, I, I love these people so much, I want them here, I, I don't want them to ever leave this church, so like, I'm not going like, to step on toes because then I'm afraid they might leave. I really love them, I care about them, you know. Or I'm going to kind of let them do their own thing. Like, I'm not going to try to control anybody. I'm not going to try to, you know, say anything that would be challenging or, or hard to that person because I, I want us to stay together. I want us to stay close. I don't want to make waves. We're just so focused on loving people that we don't really want to say some things that might offend or, or pull people away because that wouldn't show love. A lot of churches are like that today, wouldn't you say? You know? But when you look at truth, truth says love is the exact opposite right? Truth says if you really want them to stay, you'll say the hard things. If you really want them to be there for you, you'll challenge the lifestyle. If you really want to be a part of their life, you'll see the good side and the bad side. And if you choose to find a church that says they care about people, but they don't care about truth, that's not a Christian church. That's a self-inspired church. That's a church that talked about how godless people will come in and change the thoughts of man. But here's the thing about loving the truth too. Is when you look at this verse, it says they refuse to love the truth. Love is not an emotion when, it, when, we, when, we, look at, when we look at scripture here, right? Love is not a feeling based on the scripture. Because it says they refused to love the truth. So I would beg to differ to say that this doesn't necessarily mean that love is an emotion, but love is more of a choice, right? It's like being attracted to somebody, right? Everyone feel it, like the emotional side of love. I, I love that person, right? And, and why do you love them? I'm just drawn to them naturally. I'm just attracted to them, right? You have an emotion towards that person that nobody can tell you who you can and can't be attracted to, right? It's not like, hey, you know, my daughter is growing up and I'm saying, hey, you are going to be attracted to that man one day. You know, like, you are going to marry that man one day, and you're going you're gonna to fall in love. And you, like, see, like, those, have you guys seen, like, those romantic movies? They're like, but, Mom, I don't love him. I don't feel that way towards him. And they're like, no, you're going to, you are going to, like, they control it. They control the situation. Like, they're going to tell you who you can and can't love. They're, they're trying to control the emotion. And what's so funny is, is God comes in and says, this isn't an emotional thing. It's not just if you feel this way, you have to make a choice here. So much love in the world and so much attraction in the world is try, to, is try to put on people because they feel naturally emotional towards those things and that's why they're drawn to it. 
But God says when it talks about the truth and he talks about loving the truth, he says, listen, this is not about if you feel this is what you need to do. If you emotionally connect to what the truth is, you have to make a choice. You're either going to choose to accept it despite how you feel, or you're going to choose to refuse it despite how you feel. One way is going to lead to salvation, and one way is going to lead to death. Man, you don't know how many times I've had to sit here and be like, man, I don't want to go talk to that person. <laughs> like, I don't, want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to chase after this person. I don't want to have to go fight another fight with somebody. But then the truth has came in and said, it doesn't really matter how I feel. You know? It's what God called me to do. I'm supposed to drag things out. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to make this thing. I'm, spo- I'm supposed to make waves. Nobody wants to make waves in anybody else's life. Nobody wants to be that person. But God says, you have to care about the faith because if you refuse to love the truth, you're going to be lost. And so we have to make sure that we look at our lives and to truly love the truth means that we need to say no to self. We, we need to say no to the desires of our heart, no to the desires of our flesh, no to the products of our environment, no to the pressures around us, the people who are, who are giving us this information. We have to say no to all of that and not be swayed by anything else than by what the Bible says. And that can be so hard And Satan is so tricky and it's so easy for Satan to seep into any of those areas and sway us. But Satan has a hard time tricking truth lovers. Satan has a hard time messing up people that say, hey, I don't care about any other stuff. I care about what God's word says. That's how I'm going to live. And so, in 2 Timothy 4, 3, it says, the time will come when people will not listen to or put up with the true teaching, but will find many more teachers who please them by saying the things they want to hear. And so when you guys think about this idea of following the truth, it really is that. Are you, like, like figure out where you're at in your relationship with God today. You know, think about, think about where it's at and how healthy it is and ask yourself, do you have the faith that you have because it's yours because it's what the Bible says? Or do you have the faith that you have because of the people around you? It's a good question. Is it because you're in a really cool campus ministry that everyone else is kind of doing it, so it's kind of like, like low-key peer pressure that you think that like, if I don't like, love this like everyone else loves it, then maybe I'll like, like, look like a weirdo? You know? Is it because your husband or your wife is here and like, you're just going to look at like, the outcast or you're going to look like the bad guy if you don't do it with them? You know, is it, is it that your kids are here so like you don't want to like look like you're trying to break your family apart so like you choose to be a part of this because everyone else around you is doing it too? Like why do you choose to have the faith that you have? Because at some point if it's not your own and you're not dying to self and you're not saying no to self and it's because of God, this time will come for you too. You won't listen to the true truth, but you're going to find people around you that are going to change it up to please you whether it be this church or another, or wherever you're at in relationship with God, you will choose to, at some point in your life, stop listening to truth and find people that tell you what you want to hear. And that's not biblical. You will never, you won't find any scripture that says, I'm about to tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> like, there are things in the Bible that we do want to hear, but you never see somebody set out and be like, these things you're really going to enjoy me saying to you right now. And there's more scriptures that are like, I regret writing this to you, but, you know, I'm glad I'm writing it to you because it's going to help you. You know, I don't want to write about this, but I'm choosing to write about this because it's going to help you. And you're going to find things in scripture that talk about you're not always going to hear what you want to hear. But there will be places on this earth that are like that. They are just not biblical. And you have to find a place that doesn't just tell you what you want to hear. But before you look for those places, you have to decide in yourself if you don't really care what you hear as long as it comes from God's mouth. That's where we need to start. So first off, we need to care about the faith. And then secondly, I need to continue to study. We have to continue to study. 
the word of God. Acts 17.11, the people in Berea were better than the people of Thessalonica. They were glad to listen to Paul's words every day. They studied the holy writings to see if what Paul said was right. You know, Paul's like a heavy hitter in the Bible. If you know anything about scripture, he was like, he was like, I don't know, Zion Williamson in, in college. You know, Zion did not age well yet in, in the NBA. But Zion was like this huge heavy hitter in college. And everybody's like looking at this dude and like, man, this is the dude, right? This is this dude in college basketball. That's got, he's like the next LeBron James. He's like the next Michael Jordan. Like they're already putting stats up like this in college and like trying to like parallel. Like he was like a big time person, right? Unfortunately, he went to Duke. I know there's some Duke fans in here. <laughs> yeah, there it is. How did Duke do last night, by the way, in Kansas? In Kansas, won last night. I just want to. I just want to make sure that was made clear so everybody knew. Um, but anyway, right? So like Paul is like this big shot, right? He's one, he wasn't one of the first of the twelve disciples, but he he was one of the first converts. And everybody looks at Paul as like, dang, this dude is like legit. This guy is on fire. This guy's doing all this stuff. He wrote most of the books of the second of of the of the New Testament. You know, everything in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, you know, every, there's a lot of books that Paul wrote in Scripture that we would not have if it, wasn't, if it wouldn't have been for Paul and his writings and his lifestyle. And here we find Paul, and he's talking in a group in Berea, and they're glad that he is here. Like that, that name, that rep is a big, like if Paul's coming to town, people are coming to town. You know what I'm saying? Like if he shows up, everybody's showing up because they want to listen to this dude talk. But these people in Berea, they were glad, but then it said every day they studied the holy writings to see if what Paul said was true. Now, as a religious leader, you might be offended if you come to town and you're a big name, you're a big shot, and you're like, I know my stuff. I've studied scriptures. I know what I'm trying to say. I know what I'm trying to communicate. And you come into a crowd and these people are like, we're so glad you're here, but I just, I'm, I'm going to go make sure what you said was true. I'm going to make sure you're not lying to me. I'm going to make sure you're not just like making this stuff up. As a religious, I'm like, hey, you don't have to do that. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm, I'm, telling, you, I'm telling you guys the truth. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, just, but just, just in case, I want to, I like, it sounds good. We're glad you're here, but like, I'm not going to like trust you 100%. Like, most religious people would, pre- would feel a little offended by that. Like, why would you not trust me? Like, your congregation invited me here. You know, I, I, I flew across the country to be here, and you're going to sit here and, like, tell me that maybe what I'm saying is not accurate. You're going to fact-check me. And so Paul says that, but it's crazy because these people in Berea didn't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't care who Paul was. They didn't care how a big shot he was. They didn't care how big of a name he was. They didn't care his kind of influence and what he cared. What they cared about was truth. They enjoyed somebody speaking truth, but they enjoyed more is fact-checking to make sure that what they heard was matching up with what the Bible said. And to do that calls for us to continue to study no matter what. Because there will be times in our lives where we find people who are not speaking truth but sound really good. There are a lot of religious people in the world, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, that say really good things. But in reality, they're actually better public speakers than they are disciples. And as long as they're not stuttering and say, uh, mm, uh, mm, uh, 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 and they sound really nice, it's a lot more believable because they sound like they know what they're talking about. So lazy people choose to hear words like that and say, they, that must be true. They sound so clear. They, know what, they must know what they're talking about. I don't need to do my homework. I can just believe what they say. And that's what you find usually sitting in crowds most Sunday days, is most people go to church so they don't have to do their own homework. They let somebody else do the homework for them, and whatever that person says is what they're going to believe. But it's so important that we find the truth and continue to study to make sure that we can tell the false teachings from the true teachings. You know, back in the day, counterfeit money was a huge issue. It still is today. But we have more machines now. We have more systems set in place. There's, there's more ways to, to diagnose between counterfeits and, and real dollar bills. But back in the day, you know, like Old West times, for example, like people would make counterfeit stuff all the time. Counterfeit cash was all over the place. And so they had to teach and train like bankers and, and other people who handled lots of cash in lots of different ways 
to decipher the difference between counterfeit dollar bills and real dollar bills. And you know what they would always tell those people whenever they're training them? They told them one thing. They would say, if you want to know the difference between a counterfeit bill and a real dollar bill, you study the original. You study the real one. Because when you study the real dollar bill and you can tell the difference between the feeling of it, the texture of it, the color of it, you will be able to identify the false counterfeits all the time. But when you study the counterfeits, you will never be able to decipher the truth. Because the counterfeits will always change. You see, the truth never changes. The real dollar bills will never change. But the counterfeits will always modify Oh, well, they, they caught this, so let's change this a little bit. Oh, the ink was off, so let's change this ink a little bit. Oh, the texture's off, let's try a different type of paper. And so if you continue to study counterfeits, you're never really going to be able to focus on the truth. But when you focus on the truth, you'll be able to identify any counterfeit that shows up. Faith is no different. When you study God's word, you'll be able to pull apart the counterfeits. You'll be able to pull apart the, the teachings that aren't truly biblical. But we live in a culture and we live in a world that says, oh, that false teaching, that didn't go over so well. Let's, so let's modify it and let's make it this one, you know? And then you, and then you get these movements and you start seeing different movements in different churches. And then you start realizing, oh, that one does sound kind of good. Wait, wait, wait. Let's check the truth. Oh, uh, that's, that's not very biblical. Oh, let's see another movement. There have been so many movements in the, in the Christian church and a lot of them have not been, have, have not been biblical. But to be able to discern between truth and error is by studying the truth. It's dangerous to be a Christian in America right now. I believe it is because you go to so many churches and you hear so many different things. It's very hard to be a Christian and to know the real truth, especially at a young age. For you guys that are in college or younger, high school, junior hires, it's hard to know what's real and what's not. You guys watch TikToks, you guys watch Snapchats, you guys watch people around the world talking about Christian faith, and, and a lot of it sounds real good. And then you go pop in churches and you see how people act and how they live, and it sounds a lot different. But I'm telling you guys now at a young age, if you guys cannot learn to read the Bible and get to the real truth, you're going to be swayed by your culture around you. And then you can look at the adults in this room, and, and they're nodding their heads too because they know, they've seen it firsthand. But it's so important that we continue to study no matter where we're at in life. Look at 2 Peter 3.16. He's talking about Apostle Paul. He's saying Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and, un and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their, own to their own destruction. You see, distorting scriptures can happen to anyone who doesn't know what the Bible says. If you're just ignorant, you know, ignorant doesn't mean stupid. That's what we've kind of made that word into today. But ignorant doesn't mean stupid. It just means unknowledgeable. It means that you just don't know. And when people don't know what the Bible says, it's very easy to distort the Bible. Oh, I don't really know what that verse says, so I'm just going to do what I want with life. But then there's unstable people who really just don't care, you know, or they're not, they're, not, they're not consistent in their readings, you know? It's like a skill almost. Reading can be a skill at times. It, 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 the, the more you put it to the side and you give it off and you give it a couple years, the harder it is to, to, to keep track of it in your life. But when people are consistent and people are knowledgeable and they know what the Bible says and they're choosing to apply it and they're choosing to continue in it in a lifestyle, that will help bring the truth to light. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So studying is so important, guys. Doing our best, right? How many of you guys are either students now or have been, I mean, we've all been students in school, but like, you know, like, in a certain class, you did not do your best. Anybody in here can agree with that? Like, I didn't do my best in all of my classes. I was just trying to get by. Like, I, I said this before from the pulpit, but I'm like, I was a PE major in college. Like, I knew in, in high school, I was like, what can I do in college just to get by? Like, what can I do to just, just get a degree and get out of here? I was like, PE. I can do PE. <laughs> I can do PE pretty well. Um, and so, like, my whole life was just about getting by in school. 
I didn't want to be like the 4.0 A plus. Like, first off, I knew like I was never going to be that kind of person because it just, it just wasn't in me. And then you hear like those teachers, they're like, oh, it's always in you. It, it just, no matter how much you apply, you can have 100% in this class, in every single class. I'm like more of like a realist where I'm like, I know I'm not going to get 100% in every single class because I have no desire to want to have 100% in every class. So like, what do I need to get into this college? You know, like where, where is the minimum mark for me? And I look at my way in life, and that almost got me kicked out of SIUE. <laughs> like, once I got into my program at SIUE, I was like, I'm just going to apply what I did in high school to college, and I'll, I'll, I'll edge out a degree, and then I'll find a job. It's a little bit different in college, because like, if you choose to skip things, and you choose not to do things, the university looks into that, and they're like, hey, uh, yeah, you're going to get booted out of this class unless you get this stuff in in time, because it doesn't look like you're really trying to apply yourself. And I was like, oh my gosh, they caught me. <laughs> you know, like, it was bad to the, to the point where I was like, man, what am I going to do with my life? But this verse com comes to light and it says, as a student, look at the way that you have viewed your academics in high school. Look at the way you viewed your academics in middle school or in college or whatever it is, even in your jobs. Like, for a lot of us now, like, how many of you guys, like, oh man, I can't wait to get up and go to work and do my best today. You know, like, we don't feel that way sometimes, right? On Mondays when I wake up, I'm like, what can I do? Like, I'll lay in bed and be like, what can I do to get out of this today? Like, you know, when I used to work as a PT teacher, I'd be like thinking, I'm like, can I say I'm sick? No, I did that two weeks ago. Um, I, when's, the last time I thought, when's the last time I said I went to a dentist appointment? It's been, it's been a while. I can maybe use that. I'm, like, I'm laying in bed, like literally thinking of excuses to not have to go do what I need to do that day. Like, I'm not thinking in bed being like, so what am I going to do today to make the best of my day and make it the best, I'm the best person and my best job and the best place? You know, I don't think like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm betting that most of you, I was going to say none, but I was like, no, I don't want to say all either. I'm saying probably most of you are like that too, right? Am I accurate in that? A lot of you guys are trying to think of ways to get out of what you have to do on most days. I would say that most of you guys probably are, right? Um, if you're offended, talk to me later because uh, I'm going to make you repent. So... Um, but that's, that's the life that we live a lot of times, is that we are not so focused on doing our best. Sometimes we are focused on just getting by. When it comes to the truth, it cannot be like that. When it comes to God's word, it cannot be like that because we have to study and do our best to know the full truth. And if you are one of those people that looks at your high school life or your college life and the way that you chose to study, the way that you chose to apply yourself, I would want to warn you because the way that you live your life in those aspects will not change and be different than the way you view your truth. So if that's your life and that's the way that you choose to live, I'm going to tell you right now that it's going to be very common for your idea of truth and studying scriptures to be parallel with that. You cannot be a terrible worker or a I'm going to do the bare minimum and then say that you're also going to do your best in the truth. They, they will not parallel in life. It just won't happen. So not only do we need to do our best in whatever we're doing with our scripture and truth, but we need to probably maybe take a look at our lifestyle too to see that's a good indicator to see how we are viewing our truth, if that makes sense. Thirdly, I need to connect with the church. I'd even make a point here to put a little side, to say I need to connect with a Bible-believing and Bible-practicing church. Through scripture, it is clear that you need to connect with the church, but also through scripture, it's very clear that you need to connect with a Bible-believing and Bible-practicing church for your own benefit. It says in Jude 20, but you, my friends, keep on building yourselves up on your most sacred faith. 1 Timothy 3.15, I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. You see, we need people in our lives. We need to connect with the church to help us with the truth because God gave his church to promote the faith so that we have people around us that can help us amplify and send that same message out to the world to say, this is the truth, this is my body of believers, this is my family, and we're going to promote this into the world. But he also gave us the church to protect the faith, to say when people on the outside try to attack in, we have each other to hold each other up. We have each other to protect each other. And both of those benefits are huge to the church, but you have to be a part of one of those by yourself. You can't be, out, you can't be a, a solo Christian. It's not biblical. You can't find scripture that says, all you need to do 
to have a relationship with me is have a relationship with me. You're not going to find that in Scripture. God doesn't say that this is a solo act. He says, you need to go plug yourself and you need to find a community. What did Jesus, the Son of God, comes down. Jesus, you know, God in flesh. He comes down and he does what? Finds people. Finds a connection. Finds a group. If he modeled that as the Son of God, as God in the flesh, why do we think we can be so independent and survive? Why do we think that we can do better than God and we don't need people. We don't need people to know our dirt. We don't need people to feel our feelings. We don't need people to share our struggles with. Whenever God needed that. It's very arrogant of us to think that we can do better than God whenever we choose not to connect with a church family. But the question is, which church are you going to choose to be a part of? I'd beg you to find a church that is a Bible-believing church and a Bible-practicing church. And lastly, and this last point kind of falls, you know, everything, you know, falls on this, um, these other three points, but I need to commit to Christ. Everything lies on committing to Christ. In John 14 at 6, it says, Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we need to commit to Christ because he is the truth. And this is the time where I want to talk to you about what that looks like. Because committing to Christ is much more than just saying, just like we talked about, more than words. It's much more than words. It's a lot more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. It's much more than saying, I believe that there is a God. But committing to Christ is a choice of a change of lifestyle. It's surrendering. It's no longer living for self, but giving that away. It's looking at baptism and what that, what that symbolizes in a, in, a, in a relationship with God. It's looking at repentance and looking at our lifestyle and making a decision to never be like what we were before. It's looking at being a disciple and what it takes to be somebody who no longer lives for self, but is now put on a mission to do good works for God. And all of those things can culminate to finding the truth. This, the second verse, it says John 14, 6, but it's actually John 8, 31 and 32. We had a little typo there. But that last verse is John 8, 31 and 32. It says, Jesus said to those who believed him, if you obey my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's really important to see the, the, the steps within this verse. Because committing to Christ, when you choose to commit to Christ, it's not because you get what you want. You see, my, my middle daughter, Mila, she's in this like weird phase right now where like she thinks she's the boss. <laughs> and uh, I think she's been like that. It's not a phase, like this is just who she is. Um, she always thinks she's the boss and it's been like that since she's been a baby. Um, but she gives me these weird ultimatums right now where it's like, if I'm like, hey, Go clean, go clean your room. And she'll say, only if I get a piece of candy. You know, like, and she'll put her little finger up and like, she'll like try to tell me something. Or I'm like, or she'll come to me too and she'll like ask for things. She's like, hey, can I, can, I have a, can I have a drink? And I'm like, yeah, you can have some water. She's like, only if it's in a blue cup. And like, she'll say like the weirdest things. Like she'll give me like these, she'll give me these ultimatums and I'm like, who do you think you are? You're four years old. You're going to get what I give you, you know? Like, and I'm like, but she says it so confidently. And sometimes I do fold. I'm like, all right, I'll get you the blue cup, you know? But then there are other times where I'm like, no, that's not how this works. Like, you're going to do what I say, and then you might get what you want, you know? And I look at her, and she's so confident that she's like, the way she's saying these things is like, I'm only going to do what you say if I get what I want, you know? And it's, that's just who she is right now. But she's also four years old. I'm sure I was like that too at four. But here's the thing. It's so important to understand the steps in this verse. Because if we're not careful, we can act like my four-year-old daughter. You see, because a lot of us look at our relationship with God and discipleship and committing to Christ saying, I will be a Christian only if I get to go to heaven. I will be a Christian only if you bless my life. I'll be a Christian if you do these things I really want in my life one day. 
And what he says here says, that's not how it works. That's not why you should do what you do. But it says, if you obey my teachings, if you do what I say, then you'll get the blessings. Then you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth. And what I want to challenge you guys on today is if you've chosen to commit to Christ, did you commit to Christ or are you wanting to commit to Christ because the good things you'll get? Or are you choosing to commit to Christ because he is Lord and he's what it's called you to do? Because there's a big difference in the type of Christian you'll be one day. You see, if you're the Christian that chose to commit to Christ or you want to commit to Christ because of the good things, then your life will be looked at Jesus as a savior for the rest of your life. But if you make a decision to commit to Christ because it's what he's told you to do, because he is Lord and you're trying to obey, then you will know the truth of who God really is. Then you will get to see God as a savior and as a Lord. But I beg you guys to look at it like that. I beg you guys to look at your relationship with God in that context. Because if you don't and you only view God as a Savior, it's because you only want the good things that God can provide for you. And you will lose sight of the Lordship of what Jesus truly is. But God says he cannot be your Savior without being your Lord as well. And so when we know the idea of truth and we want God to give us this truth... We need to look at our lives and saying, am I choosing to have God as my Lord? Am I choosing to obey because of what he tells me to do? Or am I looking at God and I'm believing the truth because of what I can get out of it? The answer to that question in your own heart is going to decide what kind of, what kind of God you choose to serve, what kind of Christian you truly are or aren't. And that's the challenge I have for you guys today, is commit to Christ through that, but to know that this word of truth, this word of faith, is much, much more than just a word. It's what we choose to believe, it's how we choose to live, and the way we choose to act. So if you guys would like to, um, I want to encourage you guys to pull out this communication card. Um, and this communication card is just a way for you guys to respond to us today. Um, here at the Crossing Church, we're we're very committed to the truth. We're very committed to God's word. That's why we throw these verses up for you guys as well. Like, I have no agenda here. I have no hidden motive here. I have, no, I have nothing that I have planned to trick you or to, to motivate you to give me more money or to give our church, you know, your time or energy. Like, there's nothing here besides wanting to deliver truth for you guys to be able to get what you can out of God's word to obey and ultimately view Jesus as a Lord so that he can bless your life. This communication card is your opportunity to take that first step. It's your opportunity to look at your life and say, you know, I, maybe I need to figure out how to be more obedient in my life. I need, to, I, need to, I need to focus less on what I want and more on what God wants for me. And so indicate on that card, wherever you're at in life, if there's a specific prayer, if there's something going on in your life that you're really struggling with or that you need help, you need prayers, you need support, you need connection, indicate that on your card. If there's something that you have going on in your life and you just you don't really know the truth, you don't know God's word, you don't know what that looks like, check that you'd like a personal Bible study and we'll get some people to connect with you guys to figure out what it is to look at God's word and in God's truth. If there's struggles or habits or addictions that you're going through, you're like, I, I want to be something different, but I, I have this addiction, I have, I have this struggle, I have this history, this past of something that's happened to me, you know, indicate on that card we have different support services for those kind of things. If you've never really committed your life to Christ and you want to look at baptism, you know, and look at what, that, what the Bible actually defines baptism as. You know, a lot of times there are churches in America that have skewed the view of baptism. They have looked at things in life and said, oh, this is what we want. This is how we're going to live. We're not really going to baptize people by God's word. We're going to baptize people by our own agenda because it makes our church look big and better and better and better. And that's not what the baptism is supposed to symbolize, and that's not what it was for, and there's a time and a place for that. And if you've never heard of that, or you don't understand when that time is supposed to take place, check that. And we'll get into God's Word. We won't tell you how we do it here. We'll tell you what the Bible says, and you can make your own decision on when you should get it done. So wherever you're at in life, I really hope that you guys will connect with us. We are so glad that you guys are here. Our church is in the middle of doing some awesome, exciting things. We had 50, we had 50 college students go to spring break. That was insane. 
you know, I, I was overwhelmed, but it's so cool to see that there's college students on campus that are coming and checking things out. And it's not just our college students that are like that. I get excited about that because I'm a college minister, but I look at our adult ministries, I look at our student ministries, and I look at where we're at as a church, and I'm very excited about where we're at. And if you're visiting with us today, I want you to know that you have become into a place that you can be a part of that as well. You can find a family, you can find a hope here, you can find a truth here, and you can find some place that you can be a part of something that's so much greater than what's going on in this world. And I hope that you guys will tap in. I've enjoyed talking with you guys today. I'm going to say a prayer, um, and that's going to give you guys a, a minute or two to, to fill out that communication card as we sing a song. And after that first song, we'll sing a second song, and we're going to pass some baskets. And for our baskets, I want you guys to understand there's a lot of, there's a lot of first-time guests in here that I see. Those baskets are not for your money. Um, we don't want to take money from anyone in this church. We don't try to, try to have people give us their money. There's nothing that we want from you guys other than that communication card. Our members of this church understand their obligations and responsibilities through God's word to help fund the church through their own tithes and their own sacrifices. But for you guests and you visitors, we're here to just give you something. And so as that basket comes around, don't feel pressured to throw money in there. Don't feel pressured to just... Um, you know, whatever you need to do. But I encourage you to put that card in there to get connected. Um, so I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up for today. God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here today, to be able to talk to you, uh, to, 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 to talk to these people about faith, about what that means, about what that symbolizes through your word. And God, just like Jude, sometimes there are things I want to talk about, but uh, I feel like there's other times where I need to talk about things. And it's cool to see that even though Jude said the hard things that he needed to say to, to those people at that time, um, we can say the same things here. But God, I know that there are so many benefits and so many blessings of being around you, being around your people, and knowing the real truth. And we live in a culture and a world today that that thing can be easily skewed, that the Bible can be very easily skewed, and it's very emotionally driven, it's very spirited driven by people, um, by people's hearts, and not by your word. But God, I pray that we can all get into your scripture and know the truth and hopefully find a church and a uh, people to, to help us keep that, that steadfast faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.